So I'm going to tell you something because you're probably the only person who will understand. I used to hate the world and I was happy when everyone died. But I was wrong because there was one person worth saving. listening to a bite of i'm noah and we have a very special guest today we have brad from comic book couples counseling thank you so much for being here brad oh noah thank you so much for having me it's a, a joy to be here even though i just finished watching the latest episode of the last of us minutes ago and i am holding back tears to have this conversation i am devastated and I'm still processing. <laughs> this is perfect then. It's going to be so fresh in your mind. I was up at like 2 a.m. watching it. So, I mean, we'll just be a wreck together. We could do this. <laughs> I mean, I feel bad inside. Let's do this. <laughs> so we have Brad on here today because Derek is actually on a conference. And what an episode to have a guest on to come and talk and then also to not have Derek on this. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Brad. I, no, I mean, it I mean, had to be this one. We didn't know it was going to be this episode when we <laughs> planned this little collaboration. No. But as I was watching it, I was going, oh, of course, it's this episode <laughs> that I have to talk about. <sighs> one of the longest ones, one of the most heartbreaking ones. We got to get into it. <laughs> so as always, before we get into it, let's take a look back. So last episode in episode two, Infected, we had Tess, Joel, and Ellie trying to get a car battery in exchange. They exchange Ellie to get a car battery from the Fireflies. We all know who how that um, unfortunately ended with Tess getting the infected kiss of death, sadly leaving us way too soon. Thought it would be longer. It was not as long as <laughs> just as much as the game. So that left just Joel and Ellie heading to Bill and Frank. And that's where we pick up on episode three. So spoiler warning for episode three. If you have not watched it, please go watch it and then come back and listen to this. <laughs> so I have never played the game. I'm very aware of the game and I knew who the characters were. And when the show was cast, I was like, okay, I can imagine. I I, I knew enough of the, ga the game to know that that uh, Tess wasn't going to be around for the whole <laughs> season, right? So <laughs> right. I was prepared for Anatorv to go away. But beyond that, I, I know nothing about this series. So when this episode wasn't really focusing for the most part on what I, what I thought were the main characters, I was surprised very much so. Is, is that how the game operates? Do we have little side heartbreaks like this one? <laughs> The funny thing about the game is that it follows Joel and Ellie pretty strictly. And then you you meet these people along the way. This is so far in the three episodes we've gotten the biggest deviation from the okay. game, which is exciting and also terrifying to for what's to come. So now I have no idea <laughs> what to expect. But yeah, so I mean, we when you we meet Tess, she does end in the same way. So it's pretty, pretty quickly she goes away. Um, but her presence is felt like she, the, the performance of that actor and everything has really made you feel the absence of her. I love Anna Torv. I was a huge fan of Fringe when it was oh, yeah. on the air. And so I was stoked to know that she was going to be in this series, but also immediately heartbroken that she would <laughs> disappear basically at we some knew point. Her fate. <laughs> and when we got that heartbreak last week, I, I I mean I felt it. It you you feel so much for Joel. Joel has gone through so much. Humanity has gone through so much right. in this series. But to lose Tess at the start of his relationship with Ellie, it felt like necessary. You you understood why it exists for their eventual bond and relationship. But I was I was disappointed to see Anna Torv go because I think she's a phenomenal actor and I would. I would hope that this sort of rekindles some interest in her as a performer. I'd like to see Anna Torv get a show like Fringe or get a movie uh, that 
supports the talent that she has. I feel like this show has the opportunity to do what Game of Thrones did for all of those actors totally. and just really push them more. So I 100% back more Torv in the future because yes. <laughs> I mean, she deserves it. 100%. She's so good. Yeah. This. So how did you feel about the show leading up to this point? So to kind of let our listeners know how you feel. Okay. Well, like I said, I was not a fan of the game or not. I mean, I wasn't not a fan of the game. I knew nothing <laughs> about the game. I don't play games. The last game I played was the first Red Dead Redemption uh, wow. because I'm a mark for Westerns. Uh, but <laughs> that's the last video game I played. Um, I grew up playing games to the Sega Dreamcast to age myself and then when the dreamcast <laughs> came around i kind of gave up because sega was also kind of giving up the ghost as well that's true um so i i had i knew that the world was excited especially like the nerd community around me was excited for the last of us but i wasn't really necessarily looking to invest myself in another apocalyptic kind of story I, I I I I dismissed it as you know the Walking Dead uh, or you know just another child of George Romero, <laughs> right? And the first episode, I I still kind of felt that way. I I think the second episode, once we got out of Boston a little bit and we started exploring beyond uh, the more. Uh, fascist elements of where our hellish society has gone. I engaged a little bit more with the relationships. I feel like the second episode, we really got to know those characters a lot more. And then this episode is just like all one big character piece. And that's my jam. That's what I'm here for. So yeah, my feeling was this, I did. Do I need this thing in my life because it's going to be so oppressive in its uh, uh, emotional torture? <laughs> but even though we just climaxed with the most emotionally torturous episode, I got to keep going because I respect what the show has done so far. And it really does feel like it's firing on all cylinders. Uh, you know, everything in front of the camera and behind the camera is working really well for me. So I'll continue to break my heart week after week. I guess. <laughs> That's a good way to put it <laughs> completely. I, I feel like the the crew that they have behind the show is really showing through the show. I mean, you have Neil Druckmann, who is the creator for the show. And how often do you have somebody that's not just a producer credit on something like this, but so heavily involved? It's just it's shining through the entire thing. I. I hundred percent week after week, just break my heart to keep watching this. But like, do you find yourself in this new world that we're living in where we have now gone through and are continuing to go through a pandemic? Do you find yourself gravitating towards stories like this one or recoiling from them? Because I'm in the latter camp. Like I'm still in the place where it's like, no, I don't need to watch or rewatch contagion. I I love all the dead films that Romero did, but they feel a little too close to home for me right now. And that's why I was resisting The Last of Us. Like, do you feel that tension? Or are you the type of person who's like, we're living through a pandemic, let's lean into it? Oh, man. See, I want to say I'm middle of the road. I feel like depending on what it is. So like this, it has heavy pandemic vibes. Obviously, there's some type of virus and infection. So, but I feel like it's a step removed. So something like Contagion is way too close. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I feel like the more fantastical elements to it makes it easier for me to separate it a little bit. But there are moments where I think even in this episode where uh, they talk about how, you know, the government failed during a pandemic and stuff like that. I was like, they might as well have just winked at the camera at that point i was like the 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 whole conversation was just very (laughs) i feel like they're breaking the fourth wall all the time in this show and like it's it's making my skin crawl um but they're doing it in a a very um not wink wink way right like you, you know there are moments where it's like you know you you feel the the creator speaking directly to you but it is 
it, it's not done in a, I don't know, like a pandering way. Right, right. And I think that's the good distinction to make between it, because if if it was very pandering, I think it wouldn't be accepted as much or as well done. Uh, yeah. So that's a good point. How off of the death of Tess, this episode, I was curious if there was going to be a cold open like the other two. I love the cold opens. It's expanding the lore. Um, and we didn't get that in the game. We got it bits and pieces more through in-game dialogue or finding notes. Um, it was like hints on what happened, but we actually get more lore and they're expanding it uh, through the cold opens. This entire episode was just one giant flashback. So they really leaned into that. But the beginning of it, I think, is really interesting. It might get overshadowed a little bit with the later half of the episode. But so we see Joel doing the the Karen of Rocks by the stream. And I thought that was actually a really neat thing that they showed that he it's not almost like it's like he feels guilty or like he he's doing a tribute to her because he knows that he wasn't able to fully protect her like he was supposed to. I thought that moment was actually a really nice moment that they added because they could have easily not done that. Yeah. And Pedro Pascal just plays those scenes so well you know you know he he it's not like he doesn't have a lot of dialogue in this he's got plenty of dialogue in the series but the scenes where he has to communicate to the audience his internal life just through his facial expressions which is something he doesn't get to do on the mandalorian ever yeah. it's he has to do all of that in body language and uh, double language i guess uh, but but here I mean, he really does get to do the cowboy thing, you know, the Western right. movie thing where you're just lost in the tiny micro movements of his face. So like that yeah. scene, it's just a tour de force of acting. Yeah. <laughs> and he's just stacking some rocks. Yeah. Okay. It's awesome. <laughs> it's so good. This episode does a good job of furthering the relationship between Ellie and Joel just a little bit. But you can still tell that they don't fully trust each other in in this scene where, you know, she learns a little bit more about what happened with people that didn't actually get to QZs or where they're stashing stuff, going to a home for the first time, seeing a gas station for the first time, doing all that type of stuff. But you can see that she almost needs that, like a, something to admire or uh, what is it like a, a protective figure? Almost. Mm. She's very watchful of him. And I think that was. Neat that they keep doing subtle moments like that, but the conversation that they had before they start their five-hour hike to Bill and Frank's, that she flat out says, this was not my fault. Like, Tess wasn't my fault. We can still do this, but I just need you to know, like, I didn't ask you to do this. And nobody made you do this. And yeah. I think he respected that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, we've all been in situations like that where something horrible happens to you. and who do you take it out on? You take it out on the people that are around you, whether they had something to do with it or not. And I loved her just calling him out on that said, you know, you have culpability in this. Like yeah. if, if you're going to take some kind of anger or revenge or self-loathing out on me, you should just recognize that you had a part to play in it. And I thought it was just like a ballsy thing to say. And again, really well acted. The scene in the basement of that, gas station very good that was terrifying but really interesting like i want to see how far they'll go with how she's processing everything because yeah. she's a post-apocalyptic child so what does that actually do to a kid <laughs> yeah and there's been moments before this episode uh i, I believe in the second episode where anna tour of test where tess was saying you know Oh, those kids were, you know, post outbreak day. And you start to think about, you know, trying to explain 9-11 to people who weren't around when 9-11 happened. There's like pre-9-11 and post-9-11. Right. And and I I like how this show is ramming home. What's the word I'm looking for? But this idea of loss just in how people develop having never knew what they had lost right so like the kids mm. post outbreak day are 
are just not going to fully understand or appreciate the horror that they're living in because the horror that they're living in is just life. It's always been this way. But for people like Tess and Joel, I mean, every day is a, a you're waking up to atrocity. That's a reminder of what you had prior. That's actually my that might be worse. I mean, you know, oh, it's way worse. It was prior, <laughs> and then you're living with what happened, and then Ellie is just in this world. This is how it is. Yeah, it kind of sucks, but like, I mean, they're not telling me anything, so this is how <laughs> how I'm gonna be. I haven't been talking too much about the future of the game or, or even the second part. Cause I don't want to spoil anything for anybody and I won't spoil I anything for that. you, <laughs> <laughs> but there is a, a theme of Ellie through the games with her, her rage or her violence. Um, and so I think we are getting these two interesting uh, themes with her where she's post-apocalyptic child dealing with how that is. And then who she is in her mental state, or who she is as a person, and almost see, seeing when she she cut open the the top of that infected's head, it was she was curious probably on what if it felt it or not, but it was a little sociopathic. That's <laughs> yes, yeah. okay. I'm glad you went there because that's again, I I have no understanding of the game, but that was kind of my read. I I started to think like, oh, I know she's like a chosen child, you know, because of. Uh, whatever strange cocktail is going on in in her genetics, but uh, that was very Dahmer esque. Yeah, <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm now concerned for Ellie and anyone yeah. around Ellie. Yeah, and then she goes back upstairs and she's cracking jokes. I'm like, I I don't. Where's the nearest person that can talk to her about <laughs> what's going on? Because I think she needs to talk it out a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Finding out, so before we talk about Bill and Frank, there's one thing I think is appropriate to kind of lead into that. Finding out what happened to the people if the QZs were full. I I don't believe they actually did that in the game, but I think that was such a harrowing element to add to this and mm. something that I I don't want to say I could see happening, but it's... It, it, that, like oh shit that could happen i, I mean, guess like i could totally see it happening yeah and i feel like it has happened in human history many times right. too many right, times right. and it felt very honest to me and again it's that honesty that i kind of recoil against because i don't know if i want to party in this world every uh, sunday night yeah but i appreciated that sequence and how it led to the flashback you know from a execution point of view part of that awful pun that's i don't i don't mean to say execution <laughs> oh <there>. no <laughs> but uh when we zoom in on that flap of fabric and then we pull out and we see the woman's dress the mother's dress and we immediately now connect the two scenes we know her future we know probably what that baby's future is and yeah. it's it's just such a down place to begin this chapter we were already in the muck and now we're below the muck it's such a brutal place <laughs> to begin a flashback it's probably going to go down in history as one of the most depressing transitions between <laughs> present and past yeah and then i mean i don't want to jump ahead too much but when we start to see bill take advantage of his situation you know as a survivalist he's been waiting he's been prepping for this yeah. moment all his fears have been realized you know who's the dumb one now not bill yeah. <laughs> uh, so when we start to have kind of like fun with him building his community and even when you're having fun watching him take advantage of this moment and really put his skills to use you know that this fun little needle drop a musical moment is not going to last at all. So even yeah. in like the high moments of this series, you just know that where there's a decline right over the hill. Yeah, that's unfor that's unfortunate with the <laughs> the territory we're in with this. We can't be happy or yeah. be take a breath for too long. No, I'm, I'm not allowed <laughs> to be happy watching The Last of Us, and I don't know how I feel about that. But that's just how it is. But Bill's 
bunker, Nick Offerman's bunker, because I feel like Nick Offerman could possibly craft something like this because he is very crafty himself. This, it very much seems like this dude obviously had been prepping for this. Oh, yeah. But had already removed himself from society. So when you do get that montage of just his like supermarket sweep through the entire town, getting everything, it's like, oh, he he's in his complete element. This is what he's wanted. <laughs> yeah, it's like those scenes in Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead, where they finally have the mall all to themselves and it's party time. Like we've all kind of fantasized about that. Like, okay, if there was a part an apocalypse, where would we go? Right. And you kind of go like, boy, it sure would be great to just completely take over that sporting goods, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so there is a delight to be had at this point in the last of us. But again, that delight does not last. I feel like I'd be very ill-prepared because oh. this dude not only thought of getting a natural gas, whatever, the supply, bringing it to there, getting all the gas out of the gas pumps. Like, he went straight for the things that he knew would get turned off. Yeah. I would have thought about that afterwards. I'm like, I need to get all the food, <laughs> everything I need, and then... <laughs> I'm one of the first to go. I know that. I'm not prepped. <laughs> I am not Bill. I need to find my bill. And Lisa, <laughs> my my beloved wife, is also not Bill. So, <laughs> Yeah, I, I think, oh man, I think most of us are Franks yeah. in, in yes. this situation. We, we all do need to find our bill that can really get us there. Yeah, I just hope the person who traps us in their hole gives us a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> when Frank, I... I the game. Okay, I, I can talk about this part in the game because so I these feel are like characters from the game. A hundred percent. Okay. The all the biggest difference is we never see Frank alive in the game. Oh, sad. Yeah, yeah. So we don't get any really interaction with Frank at all. So when we meet Bill, it's the same situation. He has to go to Bill to get a car battery. He knows that Bill's going to have this. When they meet him, Bill is. At the beginning of the bill that we know from this, he's very much a survivalist. He's cut off. He wants nothing to do with anybody. The progression of that episode in the game, we learn through nuance, kind of in-game storytelling that Frank and Bill were partners. Mm -hmm. Nothing really else is said from that. They find Frank. He had hung himself. He left Bill. He couldn't deal with his doomsday prepping and all of that stuff. He ended up killing himself and then all the characters in the game find his body. Mm. And then he reveals to Joel that it was his partner. There was a suicide note. But again, this was all very nuanced. This game came out over a decade ago, so a little bit of a different time. I'm glad that they went full on into it in this one because I don't need nuanced LGBTQ representation <laughs> in 2023. So when we get to Frank in the hole, what are you feeling? Like, because it becomes pretty clear, like, oh, we're going to hang out with these two for a while for this episode. Yeah, I think by how long is this episode? Like 80 minutes long. I think by like minute 45, I realized that, oh, we're, this entire episode is Bill and Frank's show. I was so happy because you don't get. Something like this, it's a game or whatever that you like, and you never got those stories and you're finally getting it told in a beautiful and more explained way. I was very happy. Um, I think getting to know these characters and seeing them change a little bit from, I want to say their base level character arcs is always a great thing to see. I'm hoping that the response to this episode being as strong as it's been will allow for more stories like this one in an apocalyptic setting. Like so often a post-apocalyptic story is like a quest or, you know, we got to survive. We got to, you know, humanity's awful. They're the real problem. So let's defend ourselves from the slavers and the raiders and all that stuff. I, mm. I would kill to have a movie that is just about characters like Bill and Frank meeting each other and falling in love as the world around them has collapsed. Like, can I have 
the romantic comedy uh post-apocalyptic story that that's what i want and i wanted this i wanted this episode to be the whole series yeah it did it felt so on its own in a beautiful way and the way they connected at the end i felt was also did a lot of heavy lifting but put a lot of the emotional baggage on the transition between that yeah but it really did it felt like you were just watching this show because they introduce these two characters that you don't need to care about, have never been introduced in the show before, and you fell in love with them. And yeah. you just you were just watching their life together, 20 years of them just being together. I 100% agree. I think, why not? We don't need all this stuff to be action, action, action. Just give me a nice, you know, romance drama of them just trying to survive but live together. Well, I, again, I mean, I'm going to I'm going to jump to the end of their story a little bit um but this idea of bill being someone who in his doomsday prepping grew to hate humanity and fear humanity and prepare for humanity's end because humanity obviously deserves to die and in prepping he saves one person frank and discovers that that was his life. Like that was the purpose was to protect this one human being. And that gave him a sense of, I don't know if like the word hope is right, but purpose. maybe. Yeah. I mean, it definitely gave him purpose. Like he recognized that it was his purpose. And in having that purpose, he got relief, right. From whatever depression he was in beforehand. And I love that idea, and it's something that I've had a lot of practice doing in the last couple of years, falling into despair about our our little globe, and then (laughs) digging myself out of that despair thanks to the relationships that I have and the, the connection that we have with our small communities is enough to sustain us from all the bigger worries that exist beyond it. I like, I just found that ending really relatable but also i you know like a a moment of being seen like it it felt like a little bit of one of those fourth wall breaks where the creators obviously know what we're all going through we're all experiencing Mm -hmm. a little bit of where bill was at the beginning of this episode and it was i don't know it was like a like a little hug and like like, it was super sad and awful right but it was like an I see you audience member. Here's a little hug. Yeah, Stick yeah. It. it was it was very I know that there's like this sector of people that could use this type of thing. Because I mean, you see things like uh what was it? Don't look up and yeah. all that stuff. And it is still very doomsday and it's a little too much on the negative side of that. Well, cynical, right? Right. And there, it's yep. easy to be like cynical. <laughs> it's Very super easy. hard not to be cynical. And I feel like not being cynical is a practice and requires a lot of flexing of different types of muscles. And <laughs> I felt like that's what this episode was helping me do. Mm. The performances between these two, Murray and uh, Nick. Yeah, uh, Nick Offerman and uh, Murray Bartlett. Yes, yes, Bartlett. That's his last name. I always forget his last name. Nick Offerman did, I think, I don't want to say more heavy lifting, but his character required him to show different layers. When he finally lets Frank in the house and showers and all of that, and they have a lovely first meal together, which I would kill to have in a post-apocalyptic setting. Ditto. Wine, too? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But seeing him portray this character as somebody that gave up on society, probably has not had an affection or touch in any type of way. You get the sense that his mom was around at some point, but is no longer around. Other than that, he hadn't been able to really express his his desire for anybody, let alone for men. I mean, he had a don't tread on me flag down in his bunker. You can probably tell he wasn't at any pride rallies or anything like that. Yes. So he's really suppressing a lot of that stuff. And then to have this 
ray of light come into his life in the form of a man dropping into his pit trap. But like, it was so interesting to see, but also really carefully done. That that first kiss whenever they're on the play- piano, taking turns <laughs> playing the piano as well, hearing Nick Offerman sing, amazing. But it was so nice. It was just nice to see that it was to give them love and companionship even though, uh, you know, Bill didn't know it at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like I had been too trained by The Walking Dead to uh, not trust a character like Nick Offerman. Right. You know, when you're introduced to Bill in, in before his wall of monitors uh, <laughs> down in the basement, clutching his shotgun with his Don't Tread on Me flag <laughs> on the wall, you're like, oh, okay, Governor, what's up? I know where this is going. <laughs> Uh, and then just like, what a little miracle of an episode for it not to go that way, to actually swing in the absolute opposite direction and be just this love story, this beautiful love story. Yeah, and that's such a good good way to put it. We got this unexpected love story in the most unexpected of situations. And what, I mean, it's the story's bleak. It's it's. I think it's completely fair to say that, but that's kind of what the show is about. And whenever people, I feel like, oh, it's just going to be The Walking Dead. I can't wait for them to experience it, even if it's baseline what the story of the game was, which it seems to be, because it's not, the infected just happened to be there. The world just happens to be what it is. These people are in that situation, but it's really about those relationships. It's almost like, what's the, if you don't have love in your life, you're just surviving. It's, so it's just those relationships. It's I love that they're really going all in on that. And, you know, like, I don't want to dog on The Walking Dead too much or shows like Game of Thrones too much. You know, shows that I've all enjoyed at various points. Love d- them. During, during yeah. their runtime. Um, but sometimes I feel like I don't trust HBO to give <laughs> me a story like this. Right? Right. And And when you do get a story like this one it it's like oh they they snuck something really beautiful in here <laughs> that's not just a, a sensationalistic uh horror show and right. it, it and 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 then what you what you have with this episode is it's really just an episode about two people and how their relationship will obviously then go on to inform and inspire Joel and Ellie's relationship. And I mean, like, I was like, like is this HBO? I was surprised. I, was like, I just, <laughs> just wasn't expecting it. It's the last of us network. That's what, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it is at that point. I liked how they, they showed their relationships and, you know, interesting year increments. It's almost like just really beautiful vignettes throughout time. And showing their relationship, but showing all the ups and downs from that, from Frank being completely stir crazy in the house and just wanting to unnecessarily almost redo some of the town for the imaginary friends that they might have at one point, which they do get. Yeah. And then Bill being the resource manager, being like, no, we can't even spare paint. Lawnmower? No. (laughs) But it was interesting to see that type of thing. And you saw the very loving and tender moments, but also the not so loving and tender moments, the raid that happened, which was the only really action piece in this episode. Yeah. And also didn't go the way I thought it was going to go. Same. So, you know, (laughs) every time this show looks like it's going to swing left, it goes right. And when you think it's going to go right, it goes left. And uh, I hope we can keep that up, which again, sometimes you don't feel that in adaptation, whether you're familiar with the work or not, you feel like the story is on tracks and it's just moving to a destination Mm. or it's wildly off the tracks. And the sense that I get is that this show is using the framework of the game, but modifying the path uh, to whatever the destination is. Yeah. It's really interesting when they, especially, have an adaptation of a game because if you think about what you do in a game most of the time it's collecting something killing stuff going from literally checkpoint to checkpoint and so when you do that in a show format or movie format 
how do you interpret those things that you would casually be doing in a game on the screen? I have yet to see Joel really pick up things like he does in the game. I'm I'm waiting for that scene where he goes through draws and he's just picking up a bunch of stuff. Well, but, in the beginning of this episode, he does go to find like his stash. That is and, true. And that we felt like a it. little bit like a game. <laughs> he did put stuff and then he put it back. Yeah. <laughs> it's 100%. But I, I I think it is. I think they're adapting it how you should adapt a game or something like this because it's expanding on some of the little things that you get. A lot of times we don't get those lore expansions that we'd like to see. I mean, Resident Evil is kind of a, a good example of some of the, the missteps that you could do. We don't take <laughs> me down a Resident Evil uh, <laughs> path because I'm going to tell you right now, I love the movies. Like, I love every single one of those trashy, <laughs> terrible films, and I will defend them. <laughs> but we'll need like a whole podcast series where we re- rewatch all of them for me to do that. But I understand what you're saying. And mm. it does feel like, you know, I'm like really quickly just going through the video game ad- adaptations that I've experienced. This, this has to be like at the top, right? If, if it, it's it, probably the best game adaptation I've experienced and I'm only three episodes in. Yeah. I, off the top of my head, I, I mean, I uncharted, not for me. No, thanks. You know, I, <laughs> so it's, I think there's very few, I think a handful, maybe less than four that are worthy of like the adaptation that they got. I would love but, people to tweet at me what the best video game adaptations are <laughs> and if they are better or worse than the last of us uh, at mouth dork, everyone on Twitter. <laughs> There you go. I, I if somebody does that, I can't wait to see what they put because I would very much like to, <laughs> to know. Yeah, my opinion on video game movies is very low. <laughs> it, there's no shame in liking the Resident Evil movies. Love I them. love the Resident Evil. I movies. mean, you 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 don't even understand like how much I love those movies, <laughs> but we can't get into it. Finding out the reason why the '80s. Music was playing at the end of the first episode. So good. So good. It was almost subtle if you didn't, I guess, really pick up on the, like, who was sending it in the first place. But Is the that in that the game? Is that code in the game? No. Oh, it's such a good code. It is really good. I mean, do it by decades of music. I probably mean- <laughs> expensive, though. Like, if you were going <laughs> to buy the rights to all these different songs, probably expensive. <laughs> To see which ones are in public domain. Yeah, I'm sure yeah, there, yeah. there might there might be a few, but will you know them in what decade they're in? Most certainly not. <laughs> but the but finding that out, I thought that was that was a good little uh, nod, a callback to the first episode. The choice for Frank to eventually through their entire life, and we see them finally get to their older state. At first, when I saw them in their um, elderly makeup yeah I was, I, I was like it's only been 20 years why do you guys look so old i'm like oh you guys were probably 40 or 50 when you guys met yeah and that like, makes you know you look back at the people who lived through real lives like you know if you go look at uh photos of uh my grandparents in like the 40s like they aged they aged <laughs> and i feel like right now we're we're pretty cushy human beings and we're not aging the way that previous generations would but if we had an experience like these people did, we would age. Just day to day would age you a, it would a, a little more. Rapid. It would be rapid. <laughs> Having to trade guns to get strawberry seeds. That puts that's some gray. too stressful. Yeah. A lot of gray in the hair doing that. <laughs> Just immediately. But his, his choice um, to end things and that he knew that his illness was overcoming him too much and his quality of life just wasn't where he would want it to be he's lived a fulfilled life which i thought was actually pretty beautiful for them to do i was nervous going into this episode because we always have that thing that happens with lgbtq characters in media where they're not really treated right they usually die it's usually not their choice all of that stuff fridged right like i mean fridged it does feel like these characters are fridged to benefit Ellie and Joel's story. And I am still kind of struggling with that. Again, I've just finished watching this episode. 
But when we got You're to this processing. ending, I mean, I honestly don't know how I feel about it. I I think the only comfort that I take in it would be one, we got a beautiful like vignette of their life. So it was like, cool, we got to see them be happy. But they chose to do that. And I think giving them that agency and that choice to do that is a little bit more of a step of an outside force or using it as shock value to kill them. Yeah, they did write them to die. But I think there's some a little bit of like poetry in the way that they sent it sent themselves off yeah but also like this is where i'm going to have the most um not i'm not gonna say like negative feelings but i'm 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 really i really am struggling to 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 figure out how i feel about it Mm. uh one like suicide in art is a weird thing to me i and i often feel like suicide is not used um in a moral way like i don't like i don't like i don't know how you feel i like i don't know how i feel about suicide being used as a plot device in stories um Mm. i'm reading the last ronin right now the teenage Mutant ninja (laughs) turtle series or rereading it and of course you know western uh, writers are fetishized seppuku and the japanese idea of honor at least how we interpret the Japanese idea of honor, having watched a bunch of Akira Kurosawa movies. Right. And like, I'm really, I'm really having difficulty with the way Michelangelo in that series in the first issue approaches the moment of seppuku. And then where that story ultimately takes that character, which I will not spoil the last road on this <laughs> podcast, but I, I like, I don't like it. And so when we get to this sequence in the last of us, where Frank has asked Bill to help him end on his terms, which I totally respect a, a human being for wanting to do that. And then Bill, we can spoil this, right? We, like, oh, yeah, and, 100%. And then Bill joining him because right. this has been his purpose. And my wife and I have this conversation weirdly, frequently, <laughs> because we're always reading stories about the apocalypse and what we would do when the zombies rise and <laughs> normal Lisa's conversation like you know i'm out of here and <laughs> i i like i it it bugs me she's joking maybe <laughs> like we, we we have to wait until that situation arises for me to truly understand if she is joking or not i really one way know. to find out <laughs> um but we, you know we we talk about our mortality and what it would be like for one of us to no longer be around and what would we do? You know, we've been Mm. married now for 14 years. I can't imagine life without her, but I don't like the idea of going like, well, you were my purpose and now I'm gone. But Lisa's like, no, you were my purpose and you're gone. I'm gone. Like she, she says she would do the bill thing. If Frank went that way. Mm. And I don't know if I would, Interesting. Just this story, putting this conversation out there makes me really uncomfortable. Me right now talking to you about it makes me really uncomfortable because I don't want to say the wrong thing. But, you know, suicide, especially in the young, it can be an infectious thing, Mm, right? And and, it is a real plague out there in, in high schools. And beyond. Um, And anytime a story, especially a popular story, presents suicide. (sighs) What? See, I'm I'm, I'm like, I'm wishing like. Like in an accessible way? In in an accessible way and like in a poetic way, to use your word. In a poetic Mm. way. It makes me feel squidgy. Mm. And so I feel very squidgy about the ending. And I do feel like when we get to the end. And we have Ellie and Joel reading Bill's letter and Bill saying, you know, this was my purpose. Now I want you to take everything that I have built here and keep Tess safe. And like, I just start crying and it's so effective. But then you go, hold up. 
Did we just fridge these dudes for their story? (laughs) And that makes me a little pissed. I think, you know, that I don't think I thought about it in the plot device way or furthering the story. I think I did, but I didn't think of it as like a writer literally sitting there being like, okay, how do we get these characters to go here? And it doesn't play that way. It doesn't necessarily play that way, but that's where my brain went. Right. As I was bawling. (laughs) Just trying to process the whole thing. I think, I mean, when that letter, um, which is a completely, it's such a better letter than Frank left Bill in the game. But Bill's uh, suicide note, I guess that's what it was, really, um, telling Joel, him knowing that Joel was going to be the one that found it. And then Ellie seeing a little bit more into Joel's life or his relationships with people. But that test line, like, I mean, him going outside and not knowing like how I thought he was going to go punch something. I thought he was just going to like scream. He didn't do any of that. And he's still repressing everything almost. And again, Pedro Pascal doing loads of work with doing nothing really. (laughs) It's so good. No, yeah. It's so good, but it I, it was a reminder again to him that he failed. He yeah. failed tests and he really needs to step it up for Ellie. Yeah, I mean, he's lost everything many times over. And he doesn't want to open himself up to Ellie in any way. You know, this is no. This is not the type of pain he would like to invite into his life once <laughs> again. Um, but that's what it means to be alive yeah you know? yeah the the line i think that was in what was it the beginning of the note it said i used to hate the world yeah and i was happy when everyone died but i was wrong i mean i i want to think i think where my my brain went with i guess realizing bill decided to go with frank you know it's the whole romeo and juliet thing we've, we've seen it before i think where my brain went because now you're making me think of like actually thinking about it in a broader sense um, was, I mean, how old were they one, but I mean, I guess what would in that type of world where there's no doctors, there's no comfortable way to really go. Yeah. Out, like, like, like I, like I cannot judge the characters. I will not judge the characters, mm. but I will judge the writers the, yeah. for putting <laughs> that scene out yeah. there. Right. Like yeah. I, but again, th- this is the thing about me feeling so complicated about it because that line about I hated the world and I wanted it, I was glad when everyone was dead, but I was wrong. Oh, <laughs> like that's the hug. Like that's the line that I needed because I so understand that in 2023 right now. Yeah. And I, you know, I was wrong that I was wrong is in the relationships that I have with the people in my life. Mm. And it just, it just reiterates like how important it is to remain connected to people, not the planet, but to individuals. It goes back to that. The point of, I mean, if you don't really share your life with someone or you're not involved with in a community or any sorts, you're kind of just living to survive. And it's not really, I mean, how much fun is that going to be? I mean, he's sitting there eating dinner alone, watching infected just die, like casually. So, I mean, how how, how long can you really do something like that until? Yeah, I mean, it's I, fulfilling. It, it depends on the people. I also don't want to like uh, dismiss the the solitary on this planet. You know, I used mm. to consider myself uh, uh, infinitely single uh, until I I met Lisa. Uh, and you could have a perfectly cool existence living that way. But I also think that even if you are infinitely single, it helps to make connections with others around you or find like that core group, find that family, you know. Uh, That's almost the Frank Frank side of things yes. where he needed to reach out and he was just pinging people. Who who wants to talk to me? I need to make Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, make yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I I feel so weird about the ending and what you're listening to right now is me just, you know, 
fumbling my way through my feelings. So I hope anyone listening will give me some leeway <laughs> on <laughs> where I am searching because I I haven't landed anywhere on how I ultimately feel that ending works or does not work if I find mm. it offensive or not offensive. Do you think if you if you landed on one way or another would it make or break how you feel about this episode? No, because the first like let's say I come out of this conversation or days from now and I go you know what? That was a fridging. Forget that. I hate it. It doesn't really matter. I mean, it doesn't negate the episode as a whole and the beauty mm. that we did get and how unique this episode is. So wherever I ultimately land, I'm going to come out saying that this is one of the best hours of television I've experienced. Man. And that's wild. It's 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 so intimate and so just plays out that i think the reception it's getting is actually surprising i I had heard prior to the show premiering all the people that got screeners and have seen the first you know six or whatever episodes those jerks they they all talked about this episode they all said that this is the episode and episode seven apparently but this is the episode and when I saw it, I was surprised only that I guess that's the cynical part of me that I didn't think that a zombie apocalypse show just telling a love story for 80 minutes was really going to capture people like it did. Yeah, yeah. And now that I've been given this, can I have a whole series about Frankenville? <laughs> that's the next stage. Like, give me that version of The Last of Us. Give me Frank and Bill's story or somebody... Or, or, or like a relationship like Frank and Bill's in the apocalypse. I'm ready. The years in between. Yeah. Give yeah. me the whole thing. Hey, that would actually bring Anna Torv back because they had, it they hung out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm for it. I'm for it. <laughs> I loved that interaction when they first meet them. You see, <laughs> you see Bill in a button up tucked in, still has the gun. And he's just very much like, I'm, I'm not here for this. Joel being the counterpart to that. And then just having Tess and Frank loving every second of it was so good. Yeah. And uh, Nick Offerman and Pe Pedro Pascal across from each other. I mean, yeah, it was it was uh, like a, a delight to see them two performing as their significant other others are in the house just having a great time. <laughs> and these two dudes just can't trust each other. <laughs> Not one bit. No. <laughs> Let them handle it. The yeah. other two will be fine. <laughs> I've I've been in situations like that too. You know, you're you're doing a double date, or you're going into a party situation, and your partner goes off and pairs with uh, somebody else, and they're having a blast, and you're stuck with that person. You're like, I don't know, what am I going to do with this other human being here? <laughs> we have nothing in common, but then you no. have everything in common. They're basically reflections of each other. A hundred percent. And then it's like, what do you talk about? Yeah. Uh, where Ellie and Joel are going from here. I'm very excited to see what kind of episode they're going to follow this up with because it was, it was slow and I put that in quotes, but I feel like they might go full on into tension action just from seeing that snippet of what's coming up. So I think it's going to be a little bit of a, a whiplash to go from that to this but i'm extremely curious i you know one of the benefits of this episode is it doesn't necessarily move the plot and again that's just such a gem to have a story that's <laughs> not really all about plot um and it also opens up the idea that this show can give us different kinds of stories than just the reluctant daddy story that mm. i thought the last of us was and right my question to you, because I get done with this episode, I'm a weepy mess. It's time to podcast. Now we're talking about it. <laughs> but I, <laughs> as the credits were going, I was asking myself, like, this is good. I feel, I feel that bittersweetness that an episode like this provides. 
But I also still have the question of like, is this a good time? Like, <laughs> and not that like every episode needs to be a good time, but is this a show that I should be watching week to week and, mm. you know, recapping it like you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> or is it a show that I should wait until it's all wrapped up and then binge it? Because I, I feel like if every episode is going to put me through the emotional ringer like this one, I need to get it done. Like, I don't want to like yeah. gnarl at the scab. I want to whip a bandaid off. I mean, that would be, I think that would depend, right? So if you, if you do want to get it over and done with, I think that, yeah, it might be good to like, to binge it. But I, I was curious about how it would feel in the week to week format, but I, our conversation here and especially talking to somebody with different eyes than my partner, because we we watch it together, so right. we're kind of processing it together. The kind of hearing how you're processing it is actually really interesting. I feel like you probably wouldn't sit here long enough with that type of emotion if you were just to hit the next episode. That is true. Like, that is 100%. <laughs> this is the most raw review I've ever done, this conversation. And it, it's so vulnerable to be in that position. <laughs> Um, we might as well just had live commentary while you were yes <laughs> yes now so my other question is and i don't want to spoil the last of us but because of pop culture being what it is and because the last of us is just so ever present out there in that conversation i'm aware that in the second game it's like a misery fest like it it takes the first sad story and just really says like, oh, you thought that was sad. I'm going to show you sad. And I, I don't know if I can handle it. I, you know, this show just got renewed for season two. Right. What I'm hoping for, and this is a big hope, because there is a time jump between the, the first, the games. I'm hoping that we get more time. Like they, they tell that story. Before the lead up to the second one, because the second one, I'm telling you, I obviously will not spoil it because I will not do that to people. But I got to a certain part in the game and I stopped playing it for a good almost month. Yeah, that's what I've heard. I just couldn't emotionally really be like, I don't know why you did this to me. This is not fun. <laughs> so I'm I'm interested to see if they'll change it. I mean, they they deviated so much with bill and frank story that i feel like they could potentially deviate with some of that stuff but i'm just i don't know i'm i'm uh man if they do that it, it's not gonna be how I, um how much do you hold the game's content as canon like the show has to go the same places ultimately that the game went like what if the show just creates an entirely different track and goes somewhere completely different would you be upset by that i don't think so okay i i think i'm i don't i don't like to be like a um very strict like source material this is canon why would they change that i love when they tell a new story with something that you know it's like uh the walking dead almost or any um comic that's been interpreted into a movie or a show or anything like that it's kind of fun to see how they adapt it and it makes it fresh for somebody that has already experienced it i don't think i would be upset i think i'd with what they've done so far i i i would trust them and i put an asterisk saying let's see how the rest of right. this goes so if they created like a really happy ending for me it'd be okay Yes, yes. I mean, I don't want to go through what the the end of that second one, which I feel like they could possibly. So, yeah. okay, <laughs> I'd All be right. very happy for a second ending. But to your, I, you mentioned something that like, does it ultimately have to go to the same place? I think if it ultimately hits the the themes and character development with some of the things, it would be just as effective. I don't think the same events necessarily have to play out, but. As long as they kind of get that same feel of the growth of this or what the point of this is, 
I'd be pretty happy. And it seems like folks are already appreciating the deviations that the show is doing from the game. Yeah. I mean, this the the part in the game with Bill is relatively short, hmm. but I think a lot of people are almost upset the lead to Bill and Frank's because you get this, this uh, level in the school and you get this big bloater infected, which I think we have seen in the trailer. So we're going to eventually get that that type of thing. But yeah, I mean, I think it's been received well because that's almost how they had to tell this story without it just being like avoiding booby traps the entire yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we didn't even really talk about the design in this show, uh, <laughs> but it's <laughs> astonishing and worth watching just for that. It's the the final shot. Oh, of- my God. <laughs> yes. I'm so you glad you design, brought up which the was- final shot. Yeah. <laughs> I almost completely forgot about it, but you mentioned design and I was like, ah, have to mention that final shot. It, I won glad that they didn't go into the room because I, the Same. second he was trying to open it, I was like, I don't want to watch this, but going into the room where they're fi- they're, they're going to be for the rest of forever and seeing Joel and Ellie leave with what they had left them. Ah, uh, it was, it, it there's no scene that was so simple, but so effective that I could think of. Chef's kiss. <laughs> a tired, overused metaphor, but chef's kiss. Hey, when it works, it, it completely works. Yeah. <laughs> it completely works. I think it is safe to say that we enjoyed this episode. Yes. The, the ending for you is still, still cooking. Yes. Still cooking. <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel like it will be in a lot of people's minds. Oh, for, for sure. For a while. And I would love to hear from people how they feel about that, specifically what we were talking about in in terms of their relationship informing Joel and Ellie's relationship. And if if we're all cool with that. Because that's what I'm really working out. So whenever we have something that we want, you know, listeners to kind of just tell us or whatever, we usually just tell them to comment below. But we don't usually tell them where to do that. That's for their discretion. So they could do it on Discord or anything like that. Got it. <laughs> like that. So if you want me to see it at <laughs> Mouthdork on there Twitter or at CBCC <laughs> Podcast, help me out. Like I need help. <laughs> and if if they send it to us, we'll just put it out there and be like, this is for you. Yeah, forward it to me. <laughs> yeah, CC. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Thank you so much for coming on here and talking about this <laughs> this episode. I got a text from Derek. He had finally watched it today. And he said, this had to be the episode that I was not here for. Of course it is. <laughs> so, and do you think he's happy about that or sad about that? I think it plays to his benefit because he could probably think about it longer than both of us have. Mm. <laughs> Before he has to come back here and maybe say something about it. So I think it plays to his benefit. But, you know, I mean, I couldn't ask for a better person to talk about this with. Your reviews are always fantastic. So I had to pick your brain. Oh, well, thank this you. One. This was this was a lot of fun and therapeutic, <laughs> like legitimately <laughs> therapeutic. And you've saved Lisa some serious time. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. How about you tell people what you guys got going on? I You guys just did a screening of Howard the Duck. We did. And you're not that far from us, but I was like, oh, man. It would have been worth it. It, <laughs> it would have been worth it. It was a great screening. We hosted uh, Howard the Duck, the first Marvel movie, if you don't count the 1940-whatever serials of Captain America, uh, at the Alamo <laughs> Draft House in Winchester, Virginia, the greatest movie theater on the planet. And it is kickstarting a new comic book film series that Comic Book Couples Counseling is hosting. Our next one is going to be on March 12th, and we are doing Lone Wolf and Cub Sword of Vengeance, the first in that series based on the epic and brilliant manga uh, that Dark Horse Comics has just started republishing the omnibus, uh, omnibi, omnibuses for. uh, Well worth (laughs) seeking that out. And we are scheduling some other really crazy comic book movies. The goal being to highlight what the medium can do. It's not all superhero stuff. 
it's not all high art. Obviously, we started with Howard the Duck, um, <laughs> but it's all not low art either. Uh, and, and it's it's been a lot of fun. So yeah, uh, you can find all information on that by going to comicbookcouplescounseling dot com, which is where Lisa and I have our podcast. We take a famous comic book couple or a not so famous comic book couple, and we pair it with a self help guide. We are actually uh, discussing sibling love right now using the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Dr. Hubner's work. And we are wrapping that up with The Last Ronin. And then we are going to move on to Eve and Mark from Invincible. And we're going to do a four-episode series. We're struggling with what what arcs in Invincible to cover. It's such a huge series. Oh, my God. So we invited Robert Kirkman on the show. He agreed. And he programmed Man. the uh, episodes for us. So that episode will be dropping in a couple weeks. Be on the lookout for it. That one, I cannot wait to hear that one. That is, that's insane. Yeah, and very it, excited. just, I know that the second season of Invincible is coming out this year, but what a great time to really pick the brain of the creator before we get the second season of that show. I mean... Yeah, it it's it's it was a very short conversation. They only gave us like 15 minutes, and that's why we we're like <laughs> Robert Kirkman's going to program our podcast series. Let's do this. Uh but we do get into some of his philosophy about uh comic book romances and actually romances in real life and we we talk about his marriage. So uh tune in. <laughs> a, a deep look. A deep into look. Robert yes. Kirkman. In 15 minutes. You guys minutes. can find <laughs> you guys can find um i'll put the links to your guys' stuff down below in the show notes or the description um but thank you so much for being on here uh maybe we'll have to see if you could come back for the finale and see where you're <laughs> i'm into see it where you're... let's see let's see if i make it if i make it <laughs> i i will be here uh if you invite me thank you this was like such a pleasure and again therapeutic <laughs> thanks for listening to a bite of artwork and editing by our own Noah. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at AbideOfPod and on Facebook at AbideOf. If you have any questions, recommendations, or just want to say hi, you can contact us on AbideOfPod.com. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review to spread the word. See you next time on AbideOf. Bye! (laughs) 